And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is Matt Watson, your host today, and our guest is Dave Snyder with CopyPress. Today we're going to be talking about SEO and uh, all the key things you should know as an entrepreneur, if you have your own business, what you should know about SEO and how it can help your business. Um, for those of you who have listened to a lot of episodes, you may know that I have a, a big love for that topic. Um, content marketing was huge for my last business. It drove uh, all of our inbound lead uh, generation. So it's a fun topic today I'm excited for. Um, before we get started, I do want to mention that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Wix. Yes, our friends over at Wix know a thing or two about turning a scrappy startup team into a global organization that serves millions of people, and they want to share what they've learned with Startup Hustle listeners and their new podcast series called Ready for Takeoff by Wix. So when you tune in to Ready for Takeoff by Wix, you get to hear from Wix founders and company leaders. They share super short lessons to help you build better programs and teams faster. That's a topic I can really get behind. Subscribe and follow Ready for Takeoff by Wix wherever you listen to podcasts. So, Dave, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Doing good. Uh, it's less hot in Tampa than it's been the last month, so surviving for sure. Woo, I'm in Kansas City and it's hot, baby. It's hot. It's uh, Summertime is here early. It, was, it feels like 116 here last week with like a humidity in the 90s. Holy moly. 116. I was in Las Vegas once and it was like 115 degrees and I felt like I was running from shade to shade. Yeah, the desert heat gets me too. We have an office in Arizona. I've been there in August twice and uh, it's like living in a sauna. Gross. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited to talk about SEO today and content marketing and, and all of those things. Um, you know, I see here you are the CEO of CopyPress, so I would love to first learn a little more about your background and, and CopyPress and what you guys do. Yeah, so CopyPress is a uh, it's a content production company, right? Like, <laughs> I don't try to sexy it up uh, with anything it isn't. You know, in our space, there's you know, kind of two groups of, of companies. There's like your platforms where you go and you hire freelancers, and then you have agency model. Copy press kind of sits in the middle um, where we don't just link people with writers. We handle the full production service, right? So we do editing, QA, production, like uh, strategy pieces, all of it. Yeah, right. So we handle the whole piece, but we don't really bill on an agency model. Um, you know, our sweet spot's really scaling content. So we work with a lot of agencies who have lots of customers, just projects that are really hard to manage. Um, my background's in SEO. And so, you know, before I owned CopyPress, I owned a couple of agencies. Um, and really, CopyPress was birthed out of that because, the, the I mean, the backbone of SEO is always content, right? Like not much has changed um, in the last 15 years from an SEO perspective in the core components of SEO, like obviously the minutia changes because Google 
is constantly changing and before Google, Yahoo, I mean, whatever your search engine was, but like the core components of content and links um, have been making SEO what it is for the last 15 Just years. Good quality content, right? At the end of the day. Yeah, 100%. Good quality content. You can, you can play all the games and all the black hat tricks and try and game the system and do all that. But at the end of the day, if you publish really good, high quality content, it's just good, high quality content, right? Yeah. I mean, you look at companies like uh, like a nerd wallet or um, Dot Dash's group of properties, the Spruce and like um, the Balance, right? Which came out of about.com. I mean, you're talking about decades worth of editorial content that continues to win. Why? Because it's just good editorial content. It's the yeah. same stuff that's there. You've been going into Google for the last decade and seeing Wikipedia. Why? Because it's content that people keep clicking on and reading, right? There's not like an exactly a secret sauce there. So, um, yeah, I mean, create, creating quality content is really, I think, the key cornerstone of it. For a long time, we used to play games with volume, right? Like how much content can you put out there? Right. How many? Um, Panda kind of killed that. And to an extent, all those things still work in some way. It's like, how long can you get away with them is the new thing. Right. But, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, quality content, man. It's like the best investment somebody can make online, I think, from a potential of getting as much return on investment as possible out of a marketing effort. I just don't know if there's anything that equates to creating really, really solid content. Well, so my last company uh, was called Stackify. And, you know, we, we struggled with like how to reach our audience, was, which was other software developers. But ultimately, we realized that SEO was by far one of the best because, I feel like in this day and age, there's a universal truth. If people have a problem, they go to Google and they search for it, right? And if you have the best answer to whatever the question is, you're going to rank well. And it doesn't really matter who your competition is and how often people search for the word. At the end of the day, if you have the best answer to the question, it'll inevitably float to the top eventually is what it seems like to me. You know, link building yeah, I mean, and all these other things help, but super high quality content that answers the question better than anybody else seems to be the number one thing. Yeah. I mean, specifically in B2B spaces or, I mean, that I'm guessing that company wasn't necessarily B2B, but it was, it was B2B. Right. So like B2B spaces, information rich content is the core. Right. Um, and there's a lot of ways to slice up that content too. Cause if you think about it, Beyond answering the question for a Google searcher, your, your salespeople are probably getting the same questions yeah. as well, right? So you can utilize that content in a lot of different formats. The people that have it hard are more the B2C, specifically e-commerce people, right? Because, um, yeah, people might have questions around product, but at the end of the day, specifically Google wants to make as much money off those results as possible, right? Um, they don't really want to show if you search for what's the best mattress, they want to show you a lot of ads and Google yeah. shopping results. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, B2B, the reality has been the same for a long time that I, I think content and SEO is one of the best marketing efforts. Because again, you can you can use that Buffalo in a lot of different ways throughout your organization, get a ton of ROI back. And the one thing Google can never replace is content. Google doesn't create content, right? They thrive off stealing content. Like they can replace the e-commerce sites by putting Google shopping in. But, you know, Google, a searcher has the um, expectation when they go to Google, I'm going to get an answer for my thing. Mm -hmm. So content has to be there. 
um, again, like, you know, you're talking about a future proof model as long as people continue to use Google or a search engine. And I don't see that going away ever. It's, it's a part of our DNA now. You know what I mean? There would have to, there would have to be some type of seismic shift in how we work with information, which I guess could happen. I, We're getting stupider and maybe TikTok replaces it at some point. I, I don't right? know about you. But my wife hates me sometimes because she asks me a question. And I just give her this kind of look and I'm like, have you Googled this yet? <laughs> like, why are you asking me this shit? Because I don't know the answer. But if you would have Googled it, you yeah. would already know the answer before you even asked me the question. Yeah, my uh, my wife works as a surrogate Google for her my mother-in-law and it drives me <laughs> crazy. Like she'll call her and be like, hey, what's this, this and this? I'm like, it's wild to watch like the steps happen where my wife has to Google yeah. for my mother-in-law. But for sure, I mean, yeah, it's it's inherently a part of how we live now. Well, and, and the good news is we live in a day. I mean, think about like our grandparents, right? Like, for, you know, they were wise and they knew all these things and, and they were experts at all these things, right? Where now it's like, that's almost not important anymore. It's like, how good are you at finding answers to problems on the internet? Like, you don't even need to know the answers. You don't have to be like the wisest person in the world. You just have to be really good at searching for information and you can find and figure out how to do literally anything. And yes, yeah. I mean, there's positives and negatives to that, right? Like, uh, like as an example, like, I mean, maybe it was the last election, the 2016 election. I had to like, before my wife got off Facebook, I had to like go through stuff with her and be like, all right, where did you get this information from? Let's Is it look real? at where this came from and did it like do some disinformation stuff? Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, it is easy to find anything you want for any concept you want, but it's like, how do you weed through that? You got to have a filter too of is this stuff, is it, how factual is it, right? Like, yeah, exactly. that's a small problem. Like, why does this article exist and who got paid to make it is always a good question probably to ask when you're going through the internet. So for, for people that are listening, they're like, you know what? I've always wanted to write a blog. I've always wanted to do SEO. I've also, what, what kind of tips do you have for them besides like just doing it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're talking about audience-wise, we're talking about business owners, right? I think um, first thing is start with KPIs, right? Um, I see this all the time when we'll talk to somebody in an org, even a big company, and they'll be like, all right, we've been tasked with starting a blog or starting content marketing as as a concept. And it's like, cool, um, but why? Why? Why are you doing this thing? Um, And then so like the KPI conversation starts there. You know, KPI, like traffic as a KPI, I think is garbage in most cases, right? Like I always tell young marketers, you're not getting paid to drive traffic. You're getting paid to make somebody money. So let's get to the next KPI, right? Is it sales? Is it more leads in a funnel? Is it downloads of an ebook, right? Like I think the reality for most business owners, you have more than one conversion point. So you should have multiple KPIs most likely. You know what I mean? And I really think if you start with a KPI structured focus, other things start to become a lot clearer for you Um, because it's hard, right? Like you could start just pumping out content today and driving traffic. You'll invariably end up back at the same problem of, cool, I've got traffic, now what, (laughs) right? So I've got the wrong traffic. Yeah, so addressing those problems early will just keep you from wasting money, I think. What are we trying to do? Well, How how is this content supposed to convert? What are we going to do once it converts? If it's leads, do you have an email set up? going you know what i mean like there's a lot of questions that have to be asked so from from my experience at stackify we wrote a lot of content that was kind of 
top of the funnel, right? It mm-hmm. was like drove awareness and, and it reached our audience, but they weren't necessarily like maybe they're asking questions or just like trying to find educational things, right? But they weren't like, I need to solve this problem today and I'm willing to pay money today to solve the problem, right? That they weren't like at the bottom of the funnel looking to buy something today. They were, you know, they were, you know, searching for information, but it, the strategy worked great for us. Now we only converted like 0.1% of those people. Like our conversion rate was terrible, but the inevitably, like you said, you know, you can also write content that gets almost no traffic. It's like three people a month search for this, but all three of them are customers and all three of them buy. Right. And that that's part of the, the struggle you get into. Or are you trying to write content that's like very top of the funnel or are you writing content that's, you know, more down the funnel that has super high conversion, but the volume of it may be almost none. Yeah. And I think that's where you got to, when you're planning that out, you got to look at it like, I think it's fine to have parts of your strategy that are just traffic generators, but where, where's everything going to head from there? You know, what our biggest client we took from the portion of the site we work on went from half a million visitors a month to now doing over 22 million visitors a month. And they kept throwing money at this because they're a huge company as uh, a replacement for TV commercials. So TV commercials, because the brand, like they were showing up for every search in the space. So I think, you know, again, your KPIs can be really contingent on where you are as an organization. If you're an organization that's buying Super Bowl ads and like you're spending that kind of marketing dollars, just getting traffic and awareness totally has the value, right? You know, if if you're more of a startup phase where every dollar needs to be, attributed to so maybe you're looking at mid funnel to bottom of the funnel stuff to spend more of the money on um and then as you grow you can start to you know escalate that that curve and say okay like let's add more and more traffic to this and try to fill the funnel and fill it down into the the niches i think there's a there's also a like for some companies in some industries the brand that you can build through the content marketing you do and really the product marketing that they do can also be really invaluable. Like there's been times I've been searching for, for different solutions like technology products and I've searched like 50 different things. And this one company always shows up. Like they, they very clearly, like my perception of them becomes like, man, they are the experts in this space. Like it doesn't matter what I search for, they show up. Like they must know something about this shit. You know, and maybe I don't even buy their product, but I learn a lot from them and my perception of them changes. Maybe I do end up buying their product, right? Like there, there's some, you know, weird tangible value you can get too by just sort of owning Google and or owning the like thought leadership of a topic. A hundred percent. I mean, I think, I mean, like uh, you see this in the fitness space a lot, YouTube fitness YouTubers, right? Like you create the brands, you create the awareness that you know what you're talking about. And then invariably they end up working into like the supplement business and whatnot, right? It's why, well, I trust you and you've given me all this good information. So I'll buy whatever you want to sell me and I'll trust that that's the thing. And I think, yeah, there's value in that as well. It's why a good content marketing strategy for a company doesn't just live on their website. Uh, we worked with a travel brand called Hitmonk. They they were a pretty big company, Y Combinator backed, and then it went like most VC companies went kaput, right? Mm-hmm. But um, we built up their traffic to about six million a month when wow. we were done, and a lot of it was based on this strategy of working with travel bloggers to write on the Hitmonk site. We gave them bylines, which nobody was doing at the time, 
And we also had them write about Hitmonk on their blogs. Now, this is when Hitmonk wasn't a known brand. And so what did it do? It created a brand awareness from everybody mm -hmm. that had followed these travel bloggers, trusted what they were saying. Um, now see they're working with Hitmonk and then it made the brand grow from there. Um, so I think, you know, again, when you're creating a content marketing strategy, part of it needs to be, I think there's a lot, a lot of value in creating your own platform on your own site. I hate when I see people create, we just started working with another brand fanatics. They had a blog that was off of their fanatics site and they just brought it back to the site. But it's like, you see this sometimes where companies will create a completely different platform for their publishing. Now you got to have a home base, I think, but I think at the same time, there's a lot of value in going in, into the market and spreading your thought leadership around too, right? Um, using other people's platforms to leverage yourself. So let's let's dig into that for a minute. So one of the really popular places that people host their blog outside their own website is like Medium, yep. right? And for some industries, it's super common. Um, so is that the the company you were were mentioning were they using something like Medium or what? No, what were they, they had using? they had put their own blog on their own domain and hosted it somewhere, and it's probably. You know how it is with these huge companies. There's probably some tech thing where they couldn't get tech okay. teams to like add it to a subdomain. Okay. Yeah, I think you see the medium thing. I think, again, from a strategic standpoint, why does it exist? Um, you know, I think medium, as an example, is a great place for thought leadership. If you have a person who you're trying to develop as an individual thought leader and not necessarily a branded person, like, hey, this is the content for the whole company's brand, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's what falls down there. Because, I mean, like stuff like Substack now, I mean, it's really great for getting information out. I think it's pretty interesting places we're seeing that are um, releasing content and how people are utilizing alternative places to release content. I think it just all has to be strategic. Like, how does it all fit together? What's the puzzle? Have you seen people off? have success using Medium and, and stuff like that? Yeah, but, but again, I think it's thought leadership stuff. I think what you're mm -hmm. talking about is like consulting type of uh, businesses, yeah. right? Where your thought leadership is your product you're selling. Right. And it all kind of leads back to a website where that's that's a hub for that. That's where I think we, you're going to see most of your value. Again, same thing with Substack, Patreon, like some of these things where they've got tentacles out there and it's pulling it back, but the business kind of revolves around one person. Well, and so at, at my last company, StackFi, our goal when we created content was to create what, what I called evergreen content. Like, I'm going to mm -hmm. write this blog post, and I expect to get traffic from it forever. Like, I'm not writing this blog post so I can tweet about it and, like, seven people read it, and then you might as well just throw it away. Because to me, that is, like, sort of a waste of time. I mean, it can be great for email newsletter newsletters or product marketing, some other things like that. But... From an SEO perspective, you've got to build content that's going to drive traffic like over a very long period of time, right? And that's, I always called it evergreen content. What do you, what do you yeah. call that? Yeah, same thing. Evergreen, evergreen content. content. So to me, I think that's the key is, is trying to create articles that have staying power. It's not just like, oh, we have a quota. We have to write a blog every week and just throw some shit out there. It's got to yeah. be something that like, no, this strategically is going to rank on Google and we're going to get traffic from this thing three years from now still. Yeah. So within the, the context of like, you know, we talked about what's the first thing people should start with KPIs. The next thing I always do is go, okay, from the KPI perspective, because people will say like, we want to start a blog. Um, 
a blog for me is always like, all right, that's a place you would write about like the culture of the company or, or um, non evergreen topics, something that's timely newsworthy. So when I work with a B2B company specifically, I'll take their evergreen stuff and break it into what I call a knowledge base. So it's a completely different thing. That's not blog related because blogs are, are timely, right? Like you put a new piece up and it pushes the last piece down on the hierarchy and the categorization's all done through tagging where I can have a lot more control over a knowledge base. What's showing up? I can curate what's showing up on different yeah. category pages. Um, I can curate more of what's linking internally to each other. I can kill the timestamps out of there as yeah. well, right? And so that's where I'm putting my like, I'm optimizing that for rich snippets in Google, right? When you ask the question, I want to be the answer that's there at the top. Not even just clicking through. I want to have the answer and then I want right. to click through. Um, where again, the blog's more of like the branding, listicle type of content, right? Like that's that's there to get your, you talk about the highest amount of traffic funnel. That's probably coming through the blog where you can write and rank for just random stuff that's driving traffic, right? Then get them and then squeeze them into that knowledge base. Now this is, these are answers that more of the middle of the pack, maybe towards the top. And then it's easier to squeeze those people into like an ebook download or a webinar right. sign up or a newsletter sign up, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for me, the meat and potatoes of the work we do today is really around that evergreen content, mm -hmm. like, um, you know, the answering questions, creating the 10 X best piece of content on the web for a topic, yep. which invariably will, will rank for that. If you do create that. So I want to talk more about that, but before we do, I want to remind everybody that our friends over at Wix, yes, the website and business building platform, know a thing or two about turning a scrappy startup team into a global organization serving millions of people. And they want to share what they've learned with you in a new micro podcast series called Ready for Takeoff by Wix, where the company's founders and leaders share super short lessons designed to help you build better products and teams faster. So subscribe and follow ready for takeoff by Wix right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So where I've seen some of the greatest success of what you just talked about are some people that have did like what I would describe as like the ultimate guide to X, like whatever it is, right? And it's almost like its own little microsite almost where yeah. they may have like 10, 20, 30 different web pages that are each, you know, different like subtopics of this thing. They're all part of this overarching, you know, topic. Like, so for example, at our company, Full Scale, we could do the ultimate guide to offshore software development, right? And you've got, oh, this best practice for how to do this, you know, where to hire software developers, what are the rates, how does it compare by country or whatever, right? You get all these different sub, sub things and, but you package it all together with this like overarching like strategy of like, I'm building the ultimate guide to whatever, right? And you cover every little subtopic mm -hmm. and then you package it all up in kind of its own little site. It's not just like random blog part blog articles that were just spewed out. Like you, yeah. you, you kind of package it together. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the classic hub and spoke strategy, right? Or like, Hey, you got this main hub content, the ultimate guide to whatever. Mm -hmm. There's obviously topics that spoke off of that topic that in order to have the most complete idea of the hub, you got to have those spokes attached to it. And there was something that happened with Panda where, you know, back in the day, we used to be like, all right, all your information needs to be on one website. But something happened with Panda where Google started to like, 
not like that as much. And there's an example of that. So about.com, right, was huge pre-Panda, right? You had a bunch of experts writing on about.com. But eventually, they saw their, their traffic dropping because of the Panda algorithm change. So what they did was they broke about.com into a bunch of sub-properties. Uh, the Balance, the Spruce, all those dot dash okay. properties are what was originally about.com. Now, when they did that, they didn't just break the balance into one property. They broke it into the balance small business, the balance careers.com. And so what, and they've just, they've crushed the spaces they've gone into. And what it's, I think it's laid out is that Google really likes sometimes when you help clarify and classify a domain on one topic, yeah. right? When you can say, where, where they used to love these huge authoritative sites, think Wikipedia, now they're more like, you know what? We're going to reward you a little bit. And I'm not saying this is like a ranking factor. Nobody should just go out and start doing this. But I think there's something to be said for, hey, this microsite is just chock full of content on this one topic and concept. And because of that, they're authoritative and they're not diluting that authority by writing about a bunch of nonsense. Um, I think that has that definitely has power, right? Uh, CopyPress itself is going down that path. We want to create a lot of microsites that are content in industry kind of websites. Like, how do you do content marketing for the travel space, right? How do you do content marketing for the finance space? Really blowing those topics out because realistically, every industry is different in how they handle content. And we can write that on the CopyPress site, but both from a lead generation standpoint and just a general like information standpoint, it's going to be so nice if you're in the travel space, I'm on this website and it's just the, all the content on it is speaking to me. You know what I mean? I don't have to dig through a bunch of material that doesn't matter. So currently I'm working for a company that's in the home services business and let's, I want to talk about that for uh, not that, but about um, localized content for a minute. And so one of the challenges they have in, in the home services industry, say plumbers or HVAC or, or any of these kinds of, of companies is it's all hyper local. I mean, like they may only do business in a few zip codes or one suburb or one city, right? Like, it, you know, they, they're obviously not nationwide usually unless it's ServPro or something like that. But usually they're, you know, smaller companies that are hyper, hyper focused on, on locality and love to hear what kind of um, you know, tips you have for companies that are that are heavily location based. And so, for example, our customers that we deal with home services, they don't really want content that gets nationwide traffic because they can't service the customers anyways. And then it skews all of their KPIs, like we talked about earlier. Like it doesn't help them to get a million visitors a month to their website about how to fix a water heater because they can't service any of them unless they live in Tampa, Florida, right? So. What, what what kind of uh, experience do you have with that sort of challenge with like location based things? Yeah, we actually do a ton of localized content. One of the one of the biggest agency partners we work with specializes in localized SEO, so um, we run all their content packages for them. And what we see is like, I mean, you know, with like the the service business is a good one where you've got like your services pages, right? Um, maybe you have some locations pages as well. You know, like there could be an HVAC guy in Tampa, as an example, who's serving Tampa, Clearwater, St. Pete, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing you got to do before you go into your content marketing strategy as 
that kind of business owner is make sure you've localized and put content on your services pages and your locations pages. Um, a lot of that content's going to go a long way. Just putting an address on a contact us page isn't good enough. Let people know, hey, we're between the zoo and Bush Gardens on, you know, Himes Boulevard. Like you're talking about localized terms that people are going to be utilizing. Um, your services pages shouldn't be generic. Again, like you said, if I'm look, I don't want to rank for just like fix my boiler. I want to rank for specifically fix my AC in Tampa. So infuse locality into those services pages. Now, when you're creating your blog content and your linking content, man, this is where you can get creative. You should be almost thinking about yourself as a local newspaper, right? So, hey, we're going to talk about the topics that we know, how to um, summer proof your AC in Tampa, um, you know what I mean? How to get ready for Gasparilla, right? Like all of these topics that might have an AC bent, but let's also just cover the local farmer's market and do some interviews with people that are over at the local farmer's market. Things that like the food truck rally was here this weekend. Let's go out and cover that as well and talk about it, right? Stuff that you could share on your Facebook page as well if you're a local um, it, person, right? Hey, we um, went and sponsored the local, you know, soccer optimist club or whatever, put that on the blog. People might think that's cheesy, but what now when Google's coming to that website, they see there is no, you're, you're, you're a, an expert on this location plus HVAC, right? You're writing, you're writing deeply about your location plus whatever your thing is, right? Um, so now you can do also the knowledge based strategy where you're writing about like, you know, how do you clean your ducks out? How do you do this? How do you do that? Add some local flavor on it, but link back from those initial articles back in. And I think you get a nice mix of locality, right? You're not going to rank for nationwide terms, but if somebody, because the, the issue is when somebody searches, um, you know, service my AC, they could search service my AC or service my AC Tampa. Google's most likely, or Google is going to deliver them the localized version of that result, no matter what, right? So even though they don't want to rank for service my AC nationwide, they do want to rank for service my AC, just the Tampa folks, right. right? Yep. So I think that's where going heavy local on your content strategy, put your like local newspaper person hat on, and then mix in that knowledge based stuff. I think that we've seen that's the winning strategy. Um, you know, maybe people don't give a damn. They're not coming back to your blog to read that all the time, but you've sent out really good signals for Google. And again, I think you can use that content in your social media mix as well. That stuff plays really well on the local level. Like, hey, we're involved in the community. Look what we're doing, you know. So tell tell me a little more about CopyPress and what what kind of gave you the idea to to start the company and what that journey was like. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, like I said, I own two agencies before CopyPress. We merged into my first agency which was successful, three guys. Uh, we had like 10 employees, but doing pretty well, merged into a bigger one that immediately had financial trouble and problems. And so uh, Copy Press was a product we created within that agency. There was a couple tech products we created. And um, because of the financial trouble, I actually was able to get us some investors to invest in Copy Press. So we pulled Copy Press out of the main entity and uh, eventually I, I sold my shares in said agency just to take on CopyPress myself. That agency went bankrupt about six months after I 
uh, got my shares like so was copy out. press kind of an accidental business that kind of came out of the agency or yeah a hundred percent man those um, are the best and, kind i mean it worked out <laughs> yeah the time, i didn't think it was you know because what, what was really interesting the guys that invested in this business um i actually started a couple of other companies with them and we thought the the money makers were going to be the other things you know what i mean um and copy press was just kind of the thing that was left and we were really ahead of the market because we were really focused on quality what would people would call expensive content in 2011 when we started out right that was when people were still doing penny a word content and it was like the main thing um and penny so word, it took wow. six years for the market to come around to where people were like oh yeah you have to pay to get good content realizing that google was moving towards that model as well you know um and so during that part of the process you know a lot of hardship and hard times being ahead of a market like that and then so we just spent that time refining our processes workflows technology to get to the point where we are now where we fuel some of the biggest content projects i know of online um, I, don't, I don't think there's a lot of companies that can do what we do. Like, again, we're talking about scaling 2,000, 3,000 articles a month that all have similar voice and tone and formatting. I mean, it's just, it's a boring, like, concept, but it's like, it's a difficult job, right? Like, anything in production, manufacturing, even though these are digital goods, is difficult. And, and so you're talking two to three articles, and that's for one of your customers. Yeah. That's just for 100%. one customer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Our biggest customer is about 2,000, 3,000 articles a month. But even our our largest agency customers probably ordering 500 articles a month across localized businesses. Yeah. Um, you know, again, uh, we don't just create the writing; we do editing and QA. So there's a lot of workflow management that has right. to go into place. You know. Well, um, and and that's the thing about content creation and SEO. So you know, at Stackify when we did this, and even today at Full Scale, the Full Scale blog, we publish uh, new articles just about every day. Is it seems simple? But when you really get into like creating the assembly line of it and really taking it to the next level, there's a lot of steps, right? Like you gotta, you gotta, you know, create all the the different content and and plan it all out. But then you've got to actually write the content and then have somebody else like do grammar review and topic review. Like, did they cover the topic the right way? And you got to create images for it, and you got to optimize it for SEO, and then you got to schedule it, and like, yep. there's just all this shit you got to do to do it the right way at a high level. Is yeah. The point. And I talk to people every day about it. Like, um, cause we try to take over everything for our customers. And it's like a lot of, a lot of times when I get on call with people, they do not realize the investment from their time that has to go into the content side to do it the right like, way. Yeah. I mean, you got to create a style guide. Most people have never even thought about that. But yep. Like, how's your writer going to know what to say and what not to say? Are you guys a funny brand? Do you write? Do you use contractions? Like, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered um, that need to go into that style guide creation. And then you can't just take what they write and put it up. You got to QA it, which means fact checking and yep. all other kinds of stuff, right? Like you said, you now have to format the content, create that. Optimize it for SEO. Yeah. And then you have to have the the preliminary strategy in place on the SEO side before it's even optimized. What topics are we going to generate? Um, and so just, I mean, and just the QA piece, if you're going to go with freelance writers, that can be a real nightmare, man. Like you have to go and yeah. train those writers on how to write for us. And you know what? Now they found another job that pays them more. You got to train another writer to come and do that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think people really underestimate the amount of effort because there's so much content online. They're just like, yeah, we'll just do content. Um, but there's a crazy amount of effort that goes into it. And then, right, just to, into it and then to do it really well. It's a whole oh, yeah. level of effort. Um, but again, even at that level of effort, level of spend, I think with what we're talking about, specifically in the B2B space, the ROI is immense comparatively. So right? do you recommend, and, 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 and separate copy press for, for, for a minute, forget about it for a second. Do you recommend people to try and create their own blog post or do you recommend that they work with an agency or a freelancer? Like for, for people that are trying to do this, what, what would you recommend that they do? Yeah, um, great question. So I, I'm a big believer in just doing what you're best at, right? It's like when we when I started my own first agency, dude, first thing we got was a bookkeeper and a lawyer. Why? Because I don't know anything about law and I don't, <laughs> I don't know anything do about shit. taxes. You know what I mean? So it's like you, you I, I always feel like people are best served doing what they're best at or even at my house, right? Like, why am I willing to pay a guy to come mow my lawn? Because I make more money in that hour doing what I do best and he can do what he does best. And so I think that's kind of how it breaks down to me. Um, so if you're an entrepreneur who has a writing background and has a content background, of course you should start with yourself. You probably have a clear idea of what you want to do, right? Um, but if you're not, I think like all things, it's always best to get other people involved in it. If not, you're going to exacerbate yourself and there's a finite amount of time. You know what I mean? And I really think that's what it comes down to, too, is you doing an assessment of, well, what's my time worth? You know, if, for me, at, like at our company right now, I handle a lot of the sales myself. So if I'm not anything I don't spend on sales, I need to equate back to, well, how many sales could I have closed or sure. gotten closer with if I yeah. do that? I think, I think that's important, period, from an entrepreneurial standpoint. Now, um, if I do think that like the other thing is if, all right, I'm going to work with somebody else to help this. I think starting out, building it outside of your structure and not hiring full time is probably a smart place to go. Um, that doesn't mean you have to work with a company like CopyPress. That means you can go on Upwork and find somebody to help you just write blog posts to start. But I, I think before you like marry somebody as a full-time employee, you should have a general idea of this is what I want to invest in this for the next year. It's not usually a full-time job for most companies anyways, right? If they're, if they're just 100%. trying to publish like a couple blog posts a week or whatever, they don't need a full-time. Yeah, again, you got to figure out what the strategy is. And I think yeah. you need somebody to help you work through that. Yeah. Um, you know, that, so that's those, how I would approach it. So for those who are thinking, hey, Matt, uh, hey, Dave, can we use CopyPress? Who is your car, uh, target customer at CopyPress? Is it somebody that wants yeah. to write 100 articles a, a, a month or like what what is your target customer yeah, i mean we like work with enterprise and then we work with agencies and our target customer spending a minimum of five thousand a month so the way i always break it down is like if you're that company looking to hire somebody full-time okay. you're probably a better option because we can not just do the writing but we can do everything for you right yeah. um and we also don't charge like retainers and agency nonsense everything's unit based um okay very cool i think but i think there's lots of of great companies out there that like you know there's um scripted does really cool work um where i think you can pay on a, a one-off basis to get access to some really good creatives upwork obviously is a good platform um you know i think there's lots of 
another great idea, going back to that thing I talked about with Hitmonk, is in your industry, go find somebody creating great content, like yes. a blogger in your niche, and see if you can create a relationship with them to yes. come and do your content. They've got it figured out already. That's what that's what I did at Stackfi. I, I would I would see who was ranking well and in, in the authors, and and sometimes they'd be from different tech blogs or whatever, and I track some of them down. I'm like, hey, we'll give you X amount of dollars to to write an article for us, or even go farther and be like, hey, you know, um, guy who runs this tech blog, I'm gonna you know pay you monthly. I want you to build my editorial calendar, and you know what I mean, like. They've already built out the content strategy for their blog, so yeah. they can now take it and place it on top of yours. Um, there's somebody out there who knows your niche really well. You know that, that's the disadvantage for a company like Copy Press is maybe we haven't worked in that niche before. We're not going to be the experts that other people are, but you can definitely find a hungry, uh, really high quality content creator that is interested in partnering with your brand that will come on. So I think that's a, an interesting strategy for sure. So for those who, who are thinking about, okay, that'd be great. I could hire a freelancer to help do this. To, to set people's expectations, what do you think they should expect to pay for a high quality article? And I know that's a lo- that's loaded because what we paid at Stackify was double probably what other people did because it was yeah, super right, long right, right. and super high tech. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely going to come down to topic, right? Like, um, but I mean, I think just for the writing part of it, for sure, ten cents a word, uh, five to five to ten cents a word for just the writing. Then you got to figure out, like, well, do I want to send it out to an editing company or QA stuff? You know, what I mean, I think all in, you're probably if you account for your time as well, twenty five cents a word. So a thousand word article is gonna be two hundred fifty bucks, right? Um, I think that makes sense. I mean, again, that's all in. That's like, you know, again, people really don't look at the cost analysis when they're doing stuff, they'll be like, well, I paid text broker two cents a word, which they still offer content at that rate. That's crazy. Right. And so that's what I paid. It's like, no, man, you paid them two cents. You got the article back. You revised it. You sent it back. You yeah. did it again. You then QA'd it. Then you decided, all right, I'm just going to write half of it myself, format yeah. it, put it up. You haven't taken into account the seven hours you spent on it and what your billable hour is. Now you're way past that 250. I see that so often where people just discount the cost analysis on what the content's actually costing, you know? Um, yeah, you can spend so many hours proofreading content. It's crazy. Yeah. And if you don't, I mean, you just end up with with trash, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, I think people... And, and you know what? I get on almost all my calls now. It used to be 10 years ago, I would bring up prices like this and people would be like, that's a lot. I don't hear that anymore. I think the market understands. Yeah, I want good content. You know what I mean? So um, at, at Stackify, we used a company that um, helped do this kind of editorial and create this kind of content. And they were, uh, but niche to like IT related topics. But they would charge like 800 to to $1,000 for an article. But those articles a lot of times are also 2,000 words. And they were super technical and they're, you know, like how to do this thing with this programming language with AWS and whatever. And I mean, you had to have yeah, like I mean, they, industry they had a multi, Like from what we know, they probably had a multi-layered system too, where you actually have like a thought leader or a subject mm-hmm. matter expert. Because how many engineers are you going to find that can also write really well? Yeah. It's going to be minimal. Absolutely. So they had a subject matter expert. They probably interviewed, figured out stuff, brought it back to a copywriter, you know, your old magazine type of writing stuff. 
yeah. that's going to cost money. So now you got to pay the subject matter expert and the writer and the writer needs to have a good, still a good tech knowledge to be able to take yeah. what they're getting and put it down. So, yeah, I mean, that's why these systems at scale are definitely difficult to build. Um, but once they're locked in, I think they're definitely there. There's really good value to be had in them. Cause yeah, I mean, even at a thousand, I mean, if you're selling tech products and you a thousand dollar article that brings you in a thousand visitors a month once it hits its peak, right? right. Twelve thousand visitors a, a year. So you, I mean, that's that's great ROI. You're not in the tech space. You're not buying paid traffic at that rate. Right. So, yep. well, and, and that's and that was the game for us. I think over three or four years of time, we had wrote like 800 blog posts or something like that. And yeah, we were doing about 10 million website visitors a year, which for us was a lot. It was a lot. I mean, most software developers on this planet have probably been to our blog, even if they didn't know it, um, just because they search for random different, you know, computer programming related topics and that ended up on stackby.com. So that, and it worked really well for us. It drove all of our, our, our business. And, and we, Inevitably, one of the, we talked about, okay, what do you do with that traffic, right? So some people were ready to try our product and they'd sign up and try our product, but we also had a free tool. So we built a free tool that we gave away. And so that was huge success for us. Um, that was the next step. It's like, hey, you got free content and we have a free tool. And then, you know, a certain percentage of the people that would download the free tool would inevitably buy the product, right? Yeah. So it's just creating that sales funnel and trying to figure it out. But uh, it, it works for most industries. You just have to figure it out. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I think even even going back to the e-commerce side, I think there's information like I don't see enough e-commerce people messing around with the concept of buyer's guides and like how does stuff fit? Why? What are the different styles that are important right now? You know, and then leading people into buying things. Um, I think that even in that context, like e-commerce you get them in with the informational content around buyer's guide you give them a discount code right and like you get them now to sign up for their rewards it's it, it really layers into any industry it doesn't matter yeah. what it is yeah especially in, in e-commerce i always struggle with like i mean you go to lululemon's website and i'm trying to buy leggings for my wife and i could buy this one or this one or this one and what the hell is the difference like it doesn't even tell you and like, yeah, there's no guides or any of that, or, you know, there's it doesn't make that... sense to me. Like what hasn't still hasn't happened is a true replication of what we used to get from an in-store experience. You know what I mean? Um, I think some companies have tried that in different varying methodologies, but yeah, your example is a perfect one. If I'm buying something for my wife, I don't know what any of the sizing means. I don't know what I'm looking for. I need someone to educate me. You're not going to do that on a product page. Um, I think there's, I think it's still a, a space where they haven't figured out because, yeah, I mean, e-com is probably more than anybody is used to. Can we grab, right? They're willing to pay for traffic where they can grab the consumer right as they're ready to buy, right? Where B2B, we're, we're always used to somebody being in the funnel for a while. So we're fine with a, a conversion that might not convert to a final sale for a month, but, you know. If you're sitting there with a C level of an e-com and you're telling them, "Hey, we're going to put up tra- we're going to put up content on the site and it might take a month to convert, 2 months, 6 months." They, you know what I mean? They're just not used to that buying cycle. Well, I think this has been uh, very educational for everybody listening today. And once again, I want to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by Wix. 
Are you an entrepreneur or founder trying to figure out how to successfully navigate the rocket ship that is hypergrowth? You want to take control over your company's online presence internally and externally? Well, our friends over at Wix Enterprise can help. Wix Enterprise is a platform that provides businesses with an all-in-one solution for all types of growth and business needs, create high-performance performing websites for your business, all of which are backed by enterprise-grade security, as well as expert support to help you manage and scale online. Head over to Wix.com, W-I-X.com for more information. Well, Dave, I really appreciate having you on the show today. Um, like I said earlier, I love content marketing and SEO. It was huge for my previous business. Um, love to hear any final you know, thoughts or suggestions you have for those listening that are thinking about, man, I, I really want to do this SEO thing. I really want to do this content thing. I just don't know how to get started or what to do. Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest advice is get started now in some way. Uh, you know, SEO and content marketing take a while to start yielding. So, you know, kicking yeah. the can down the road means you're really kicking the can down the road six to 12 months every single time you kick it down. So like, just get started with something that you can manage today. Hey, I'm going to refresh the content that we currently have. Um, I'm going to, you know, like I said, go find some, some help. If this isn't your wheelhouse, go out and find somebody in your, in your niche that can help you. But I think the main thing is getting it started and then starting from a place of, Hey, what, what are we trying to achieve? I think you'll be safe if you go that route. And if somebody is, is listening and thinks that copy press could be part of that solution, uh, how, how should they, uh, learn more? Yeah. I mean, you can email me at D Snyder at copypress.com. Uh, you can just go to copypress.com, fill out the form there. I'm also on Twitter at Dave Snyder. I'm there sometimes because, the world's a hellscape, so I try to stay away from Twitter sometimes. So. <laughs> it, it is the the world's town hall, as they say, full yeah. of misinformation, um, bots telling you all about the Russian war, all of it. It's all out there now. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need it in my <laughs> life, so I stay away from it. But uh, for some things, Twitter's Twitter's fun. So, yep. all right. Well, thank you so much for being on the uh, podcast today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, sir. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.